I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings everywhere. Today's episode is about the poses in yoga that I do not teach and nor do I practice and then giving you the rationale behind it. So I I am asked this question regularly, people that go through my trainings, people that come to workshops, people that take my online classes, people that come to my studio. It, It actually doesn't happen too much at the studio because a lot of people just figure out pretty quickly. Most of the teachers aren't teaching this a a handful of poses that are seen in other studios and in other yoga practices. And I don't think they really ever question it because they're, they're not missing out. I think, you know, people just aren't missing out on some of the poses that we don't um, teach at the studio or I don't teach personally. And often the reason is, is because those poses for a lot of people aren't exactly comfortable and they don't miss them. So. I will start this with the premise or the the statement. These are these are poses that I no longer teach, that I no longer practice, and there's a rationale for them from my perspective as a physical therapist. And if you teach or practice them, I'm not saying they're wrong, they're evil, or anything like that. I'm I would simply ask you, what do you think is the benefit of the pose because yoga poses to me quote unquote are just that they are they are expressions of our body 
a shape that our body takes. And in that shape, we are getting a lot of information. We're getting a lot of communication in our body, between our body and uh, our breath, between our body and the mental and emotional bodies. So there's a lot happening in the poses. They are not just a a pose that you that you pick and you do because someone told you to do it. But for me, the poses are more of an expression of what um, we would like our body to feel like. So we're it's really I'm I'm more interested in how is this expressed in the body versus what is the representation of it. And then I always um, ask the question with poses or movement patterns, what is the benefit and what is the potential cost for the modern day human being? And we have to look at that because what we are doing regularly now in a modern day world is very different than a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago. centuries and centuries ago. It's just different. So there's there's really, you can't use that as a rationale. It just doesn't work because it would, if you're going to use that as a rationale, like, well, that's what people have been doing for thousands of years. They've also been doing a lot of things that are, that are no, we know no, no longer are really good for us or no longer, hopefully realize they're no longer ethical practices that have been in place throughout history, um, civilization. So I always bristle when people use that as a declaration or as a rationale for why you should practice a certain way and why some of these poses should be practiced. And the bottom line is, and this is in my whole purpose of this podcast, Redefining Yoga, and in the purpose of my online classes, my Lara's yoga training lit daily classes and my teachings, is to try and evolve the practice so that it makes sense in our modern day life. So thousands of years ago, people needed to sit more and we don't need that. That is not the, uh, that we sit too much. So we can't really use that as a, a tool in the same way. It doesn't mean we should never sit. It doesn't mean we shouldn't sit and meditate. But what we should do is really look at how do we best balance and harmonize our body. And and of course, the body is the vehicle of transformation. It is what holds everything within. So if your body is imbalanced, you, you can't separate the way you're going to feel in your mind. You just can't. It's all part and parcel. So the poses that I no longer practice, or and I certainly don't teach, are the, re- the reasons I don't do it have are very layered but I never look at like, well, I'm supposed to be teaching this because so-and-so guru said so, or so-and-so lineage said so, or they've been doing, you know, I, I just, uh, it just doesn't apply. You know, there's so many, and I'm going to have a friend of mine on who is, who's written books on yoga philosophy. And we always kind of laugh a little bit about this, about the way that we uh, yogis tend to kind of box put in the box the the ideals of what a yoga practice should look like or be and um how it is not really not only not applicable but people don't have the clearest understanding of the history of yoga and um 
the progression of yoga. So without getting into that, let's just talk about the poses because these are, these are poses that I find on the cost benefit scale, the cost outweighs any benefit that you might get. And you could probably get the benefit somewhere else. So just going through the handful that I never, never teach or practice would be, I don't teach or practice a shoulder stand. I don't teach or practice a plow. I don't teach or practice a fish pose. So those are three right off the bat that have, that put your neck, your cervical spine in positions that I'm not comfortable with. And that any benefit you could tell me like, well, Laura, oh my gosh, when I'm in plow, it just feels so good for my back fascial line. Fine. I'm going to give you something that's better. That's going to give you the same benefit of that without loading your cervical spine in a, in a weird way. You're flattening out your cervical curve and then you're putting load on it. And if you were to look at the cervical anatomy, and we and we we look at this in my yoga teacher training. So if you're ever interested, again, look for my online course, um, my in-person course. I have one coming up in August, but we look at this. When you really look at the anatomy, people's eyes just like bug out. They're like, whoa, those are what? Those are cervical nerves. Yeah, you see how thin the cervical vertebrae are? That's made for mobility. Um, and there's cervical nerves that come right out. And in addition to that, in certain cervical vertebrae, depending on the, the way the facet joints are stacked, there are um, vessels, circulatory, like blood vessels that come out as well. There's two main blood vessels that go to your brain and they come out really close to the, the cervical vertebra. They come out to the, on the side of it and then run up into the brain. And I, quite frankly, I don't want to do anything that puts pressure on that area. I just don't. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think there's any reason to. And I think any of the reasons to do it, you can find better ways to do it. So the plow puts a lot of pressure on the dura matter. That's the fascia that covers the spinal column, the spinal cord. And when you when you get that kind of weird zingy feeling when you're in plow, you're probably pulling on that duramata and matter. And that's not an area I want to pull on. I look at the brain and the spinal cord and having done um, neuro, neuro uh, rehab for many years and really researching in the brain and the central nervous system. And I, I, there's just, I am very, very convinced. I don't want to do anything that jeopardizes my brain, my blood flow to my brain. And um, the, anything, any of the structures in the cervical spine, because they are uh, more fragile. They are they're not fragile because they're protecting the spinal um, they're protecting the spinal cord, but they um, the cervical vertebrae are much much thinner. They're really made for mobility, so we can look in all directions and um, see what's up and see what's down. And the lumbar vertebrae are heavy, heavy, heavy. They're made for weight bearing. So there's very I don't want to put weight bearing of any kind on the cervical spine. And putting myself in fish in that hyperextension, there are some um, other consequences when you hyperextend and rotate your neck, for instance, that can really shear the those um, vessels that are coming out laterally. And why do that? Why even put yourself in that position? That's another reason. I don't do a headstand. So I don't teach fish, plow, shoulder stand, and headstand. And I think that alone should probably give you an idea of why, because the cervical, there's seven cervical 
vertebra. So if you kind of follow them down and then you hit your first rib and the first T1, so that area in general, I'm just above that. I'm just not, I don't want to weight bear on it. And that's really what's happening in all those poses. And you could say, well, or suppose I stack with blankets and I do this and I do that. I just feel like, um, I just feel like there's so many other ways you can, you can get to the same effect. And in fact, do it in weight bearing through your feet. So you're going to have even a much more effect, uh, um, impact because you're getting that fascia that goes underneath your feet, the plantar fascia that runs up the back line of the body that's getting into that big thoracodorsal fascia that you're feeling pulled when you do plow. Like I see people say they do it because they're so tight there. But you know, it's interesting and ask yourself this. If you're really tight in your back, in your back fascial line, and you've been doing plow for a while, have it has it changed anything? I'm, I don't, I, what I would say is, uh, I don't, I bet it really hasn't. I bet it gives you a temporary release, but I don't believe that it's giving you a long lasting change. And there are other ways of doing it. And um, I've seen it because I've, I've seen people who are super, super tight, like super tight in that area, can't fold forward at all. And that is not a position I put them in to open up the back fascia. I do a lot of other things, but not that. So those are some of the ones that, yeah, haven't done in years. And I remember, I, I, I think I mentioned this in another podcast. I was trying to be kind of respectful when I was taking a class. This was maybe six or seven years ago. And they, they did a, a plow. Um, and I thought, okay, why don't I do like a modified version, you know, just, and I did it. And when I came down, everything felt weird. Like my neck felt out of place. It just, uh, and I thought, nope, this is exactly why. And I was really conscious of all the alignment stuff and I still felt weird. So I can't imagine people who are not as body aware as I am, um, doing it and, 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 and sometimes people just feel something and they think that that feeling something is just making a change, but that might not be the change you want. That might not be the feeling you want. So these are again, things that I don't do and I don't, I don't teach. And I never hear anyone complain that I don't do those things. The other thing about headstand is get on your forearms, get your shoulder girdle involved. If you were to say, well, I really love headstand, I'd say you love it because you can do it. And that's your ego talking. Really, I, I mean, honestly, it's like there's, that is the main reason because you can do it. Okay, so that's great. But that shouldn't be the reason you do something or stick to it because you can do it. You need to challenge yourself and not be attached to the being able to do it. Get off of your head, get onto your forearms and work your, work your, your, your dolphin. And if you never get all the way up like you do in a headstand, that's okay. You're developing way, 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 way more strength and um, integrated core and um, opening again of all that back fascial stuff. It's, you do that in dolphin in such a huge way. So what are some other poses that I don't, that I don't do? I don't do seated forward folds. And I've really, I've gone through that in another podcast. There's an entire podcast that's dedicated to why I don't teach seated forward folds. But again, there's not weight bearing through the feet. And when you weight bear through your feet, you're getting all kinds of amazing um, neurological responses that you don't get when you're not weight bearing. 
and that I, I feel have, have much, much, much deeper effect on your body than um, when you don't, when you have your feet unweighted. Also, we're sitting too much, so why sit on the floor and do more forward folds? And you're doing a lot of forward folds and standing, you don't need to do more in sitting. So there, there's lots of reasons I, I don't teach seated forward folds. Um, I don't teach splits. Um, you know, in a, in a public setting, in a groups, I say in a public setting, I don't teach it anywhere. <laughs> Do I practice them? No, I don't even practice them. Every once in a while, I'll check in and be like, oh, I can still do this because I know I'm keeping up the balance around the hip and the, the, the awakening, the where the awakening, but the, uh, it is an awakening, <laughs> those hamstrings, um, but the opening of the hamstring. So I'll test it out, but, um, splits are, really problematic. Almost no one can do a, a split. You know, I mean, if you look at the general population, um, you're going to get maybe 99%, maybe 98%, let's say most uh, population doing splits. So you're going to bring all these people into your class and um, get them to try and do it. And there's going to be a lot of trying that's not going to be very effective. Like get, if you want the hamstrings to get open, get on your hands again, get on your I mean, get on your feet again, do, do the standing L shape where you're weight bearing through that leg and you're getting a lot more feedback. Do a very active pyramid pose, um, Parsvottanasana. Do, you know, do something where you're weight bearing and you're getting that opening. Um, do a good down dog, do a good down dog on the wall at 90 degrees. All these great ways of opening up the hamstrings. Um, but a split is again, a, is basically not a seated forward fold, but it's seated. And you are you're you're opening up the hamstrings from a very passive um, way. No matter how active you stay in it, it, you can really put a burden on your sacrum and your SI joints from that from the split. So I don't don't teach splits. So what are some other things? Well, um, I would say I there's I don't really teach triangle much anymore. And there's people who love it, who look at me like, how could you not want to teach uh, Trikonasana Triangle? And I teach like a bent knee version. I think Triangle is another one that's trying to do too much and probably is um, ineffective at all of the things. And not only is it ineffective at all the things, but in fact, one part of it might be harming. So for instance, say your left leg is forward in a triangle. Well, you're putting a lot of load on that left hamstring. Fine. But it's at a weird position for it. Now, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, loaded in a variety of ways and a variety of positions and any way you can move is, is a good movement. No, that's not true. I disagree with that. Do I want to load my hamstring asymmetrically with that right uh, SI joint loaded as well? Um, no, I I don't think there's any value to it. I don't think there's any functional significance of that. I think there's a lot of ways of creating a lot of strength and sturdiness, so to speak, in your hamstring and your um, in the insertion, the proximal insertion. And the ha- the triangle is not that pose, in my opinion. It's like a lot is happening, and it's it's so um, it's lopsided. It's not asymmetry is fine. I do a lot of asymmetrical pose. I do funky dolphin where one forearm down and one hand is on the floor. 
as one forearm is down, but it's, it's, it's lopsided and it's lopsided in a loaded lopsided way. So I, and I, what I have seen across the board is when people um, have an injury or a, um, they kind of tweak something, it's usually in a position where they're lopsided and they don't have enough control getting out of the pose. So one could say, well, practice getting out of the pose and you'll get stronger. Okay, maybe, but there's just a lot of other the benefits to other poses where without that potential cost is what I would say. So pars vakanasana, which is a, an extended side angle, I don't teach that either for the same reason. It's really such a lopsided um, a load on the around the sacrum. And people just have so much imbalance there to begin with that it's um, coming out of it. I've actually seen people who uh, days later, not from my class, but they've been somewhere else and they have heard that. And it has been, it is a kind of long journey back to feeling good. So I am, I am of the ilk that I would like to not be injured. I want to learn from an injury, sure, but I don't want to be injured if I don't have to be. So it's kind of like, Okay, we don't have to go through everything to, to you know learn the lesson. How about a physical therapist like myself tells you? <laughs> you know, that's what I kind of want to say to people is like, okay, here's a big secret. I am going to be fifty this year. I only say this is a big secret because uh, people could probably you know figure it out based on my kids' age and all that. But some people had no. I've told them my age, and they have no idea. They thought I was a lot younger and I'm going to be 50 this year, 50. I don't feel like I'm almost 50. I feel like I'm, you know, way like right on, right in line with all the, you know, 20 year olds without a problem. The reason that I can uh, really sit here on my little pulpit and say some of the things I say is that I have put it in my own body and my own work. And it has, and it has worked well. It has really kept me very, very balanced. And I'm just not sure if I, that I could say that if I had kept up with some of the things that I no longer do. And for me, I'm like, why would I want to discover that by doing it when I know intellectually from a biomechanical standpoint, some of these things are just not, not a good idea. So that um, I think it's twofold. It's one that I understand it from from a very um, biomechanical, anatomical, functional anatomy, kinesiology, physical therapy, neurophysiology, you know, like really understand it. And and I can tell you from PT books and stuff, there's there's a, there's no way they would say this was a, those poses are a good idea. So it's like from my PT background, but also from my actual functional background, like I'm practicing this stuff in a real way every single day. So, and it's working, it's working. Um, so 50 is young. I'm not meaning by any means like, oh my gosh, but, but I want to be doing this for another, you know, um, four or five decades. Why not shoot for the moon? So, Hey, I want to keep everything going and not like have to, because learning from an injury at an older age is more challenging. That is a fact. We, we just recover differently. And, there's another set of sequelae that come with that. But so I'd rather stay way, way, way ahead of the curve. So those are some ones I don't practice because I don't think they have 
the benefit weighs, outweighs the cost by any means. I'm thinking, I thought I had another one and some people say, oh, I never really see you do camel. I, I, I think camel has a lot of, it is okay. I think the problem is with camel is the problem with a lot of poses. Most people can't um, maintain a neutral pelvis and get really great hip extension. So they bend somewhere else. And usually that's in a low, low lumbar sacral area, maybe, you know, around T10, T11, which can sometimes move too, you know, too much. That's where your bottom ribs pop out and flare out. And so you're moving a lot there and there can be some vulnerability there and then throwing the neck back. So I teach it a little differently when I do it. And I do it really from this state of like, I want those, I want the pelvis very neutral and the hips then extending and a lot of glute activity before I would go back. And I think actually going back with just one arm and one arm on one leg and the other arm up by the um, ear, like, so let's say I'm going back and I bring my left hand to my left calf or foot and then the right arm is by the ear because then you kind of give a balance of get an upward lift with one arm. Both hands coming back is is going to be more challenging um, at that lumbosacral area. So again, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a terrible pose by any means. It has a lot of great um, stuff within it. It's just modern day life. Most people cannot do that very well without possibly pressing into some, some areas, squishing at the lumbar spine and, and popping out in the ribs at that more mobile area of the thoracic spine. So camel's not a no-no. I would just really, really be, um, make it smaller and much stronger than trying to drop back into it. So people have asked me about things like, um, going into big, big backbend expressions and, John, my brother and I have talked about this in podcast, and so I won't go into it a lot here. I think backbends in general, big backbends, um, there's just a lot that needs to happen to prepare you. So what I will say is I, I, and this is again in my teacher training, we have an entire, um, an entire segment on, on a backbending class and how you prepare the body, everything that's needed to go into that. I give you a pop-up. So you get 10 classes that I've made and created. And so you really understand the scrutiny of like step-by-step, step, what, what are the thought process going in to prepare the body, um, to really kind of light up the energetic channels. Cause boys backbending a huge one for the, all the chakras big time, like just, it's like a power hosing for the, uh, for the nervous system and for the energetic system. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, so there's a lot of great benefits to backbending, but it has to be done so methodically in my opinion. Otherwise there's a lot of possible potential cost. So I hope that answers some questions. Uh, people, I, I, people ask me this question a lot. So I, I'll go back to saying this is from my own experience, but also from my, my academic knowledge as well. And uh, you'll, I think if you were to test it out and eliminate some of those poses and just see like, where could you get whatever benefit you felt like you were getting in those poses somewhere else, see if your practice changes, because I've seen a lot of people and heard from people who had more of a traditional um, practice and they eliminated some of the ones that I don't teach and had only positive um, feedback about it. 
but um, I'm open-minded. I try and be open-minded. I just don't, those I'm never going to teach. So I'm not open-minded about them, but but I'm open-minded to hear how you like it, right? Because this is, this is not just about me. You need to question everything, including me. Critical thinking demands that, demands that we're always striving for um, more information, more growth, and um, more learning. So I'm at least open-hearted if not, um, if I'm not always open-minded about certain things, I'm open-hearted. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. If you ever want to study with me, I do have some online um, online courses coming up. And then I do have some space in my teacher training this August in Princeton. It's an immersion. It's going to be amazing. It always is. This is a, um, about my, um, it's in the double digits now training. So I love, I love, I love teaching. And I have many actual 200 hour and even 500 hour people who've come and done my training because it's so much in-depth functional anatomy and movement that um, many trainings just don't offer it. So check that out on movementbylaura.com. And as always, uh, share this with friends, subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and take a screenshot of your review and send it to podcast at movementbylaura.com so we can give you a free link to one of my daily classes. And then you can always check out those as well. I'm sending you big hugs and whatever you're doing, let the benefit benefits be way more than any cost so you can keep moving and um, keep grooving and know that I'm pulling for you.